If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Hey, friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me, and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey, this is Jackie Hill Perry. You're listening to The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey, episode 410. And this is Flashback Friday. Jackie Hill Perry, welcome to Flashback Friday. Hi, friend. You introduced yourself. I love that. I did. It was kind of fun. I felt like a, a talk <laughs> show host person. <laughs> Well, you know, speaking of Flashback Friday, we're airing your episode from April of 2018, which was episode number 190. Okay. And now today is episode 410. So it's been a minute. Sheesh. You were kind of like a grasshopper. I was a little grasshopper. You were a grasshopper. But you said you were like a little host over there. You are a host. You have a podcast now. That's something new since April of 2018. It is, isn't it? Do you love it? I don't. It's just, I love the moment to be able to talk about it. And I love being able to give out content that really is representative of what me and Preston talk about all the time. I don't like all the back end stuff, the promotion, the editing. I don't like any of that Mm -hmm. because I do most of it. So that's what I don't like. Oh, well, then I would hate it, too. Yeah. I mean, when I started in 2014, I did all my stuff, too, and it sucked. It was terrible. I don't even know how people listened. But now I just get to do this and then I leave and then somebody else handles it. So that's what you need need to do. We need to talk offline about how to do that because I just I can't keep up. Yeah, it's a lot. Well, 30 minutes with the Perry's. That's what it's called, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's only 30 minutes. does Preston like it? Oh, he loves it. I mean, he just gets to talk and leave. (laughs) (laughs) He loves it. It was his idea. And every season, it's been his push. It hasn't been mine. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, but it it is cool because, I mean, that's what makes it easier is that we do talk all the time in real life. And so you really are just hearing us banter about whatever. It's not as planned. We don't know where we're going. We just kind of go where we end up. And I like that. You know, that is interesting. I didn't know that about you guys, is that what we hear on that podcast is a reflection of what it looks like in your house. Oh, absolutely. You guys having these conversations all the time. Do you think that helps you guys stay, I'm going to say a word that's real cheesy, but like cutting edge, like thinkers and like learners and wanting to be into conversations. You think that helps that you do it on the daily like that? Maybe. I think it helps us. I don't know. Maybe it helps our intimacy just as a couple to be able to talk. It builds also, I think, a a respect because I value his opinion and his perspectives. You know, I actually care about what he has to say, but he also studies things and looks at things from a lens that I don't. So I'm also intrigued Mm -hmm. and I'm curious how he sees the world. So, yeah. You know, I've been thinking about intimacy a lot for the last couple of years. I don't know why. I think like someone just rocked my world with talking about intimacy is not just sexual. And I think I would have known that, obviously, if I would have just put a little brain work to it. But I think over the past couple of years, I've just really been thinking you can have intimacy with people that you're definitely not sexually even attracted to or sexually intimate with. And I think that what you just said, Jackie, is something that so many couples start to lose over the years Mm -hmm. is that mental intimacy 
and spiritual intimacy. And that's what you're talking about is that you have this intimacy together mm-hmm. because you're using your brains together, which I think gets lost sometimes in marriage. Yeah, because I mean, I think if we talk about intimacy in the way that people frame it, which is usually just sex, that starts mm-hmm. to be affected when you just can't even talk. Like that's usually a sign. Yep. Like <laughs> I don't want to talk to you. If I don't want to talk to you, I, mm-hmm. I definitely don't want to have sex with you. It's, I don't want to have sex with you. Yes. Yeah, so I think just being able to bond over a conversation just has a, a way of spilling over into the bedroom in a really good way. It's so true. I mean, I look back and I think about some of like my most like favorite moments with Aaron are when we kind of have this undivided attention. And listen, I got four kids. You're about to have four kids. It's hard to get that undivided attention. And when you do, you think, I feel so close to you. And it doesn't have anything to do with sexual intimacy. It's just like, I feel with you. Mm -hmm. So thanks for letting us in on your mental intimacy, Jackie (laughs) and Preston. Okay, so the podcast is new. But man, a lot of things have happened since April of 2018. In fact, I remember when we recorded this podcast, I think we were in a hotel room and I think you were pregnant. Mm -hmm. I was. I was pregnant with Autumn. With Autumn. Mm -hmm. Okay, with your second. Mm -hmm. And now you've had a third. Yes. And now you have a fourth inside of you. It makes me sound like a pig. You know, pigs have a lot of babies. <laughs> you just making babies over here. Golly. When you put it that way, I am. Fourth child. How has motherhood been in the last three years since we talked last? I don't know. It's all a blur. <laughs> I was trying to find the cutest I think that's the only it. thing you could say. Yeah, that's I, the only thing you could say. It's all a blur. I don't know. It's easier and it's harder. It's easier because Eden is more independent. And so she's really, really, really mm-hmm. helpful. Like she said the other day, she said, all people do is ask me to do stuff for them. And I said, that's what kids do. That's your job. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. (laughs) And so it's easier because of that aspect, but it's harder because I have multiple littles. You know, Autumn is three. Mm -hmm. Sage is about eight months. And then this newest baby will be a baby. And so, Yeah. yeah, but I am excited. I don't know. I look forward to them growing more than I enjoy this stage here because I do well with older kids. Give you a little encouragement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when our kids were younger, our first two were real close. And I just say I have kind of hardly any memories of them as little babies. Like, I'm just like, I don't know what happened. We just survived. And now we got all these teenagers. And on one hand, it's amazing because like last night we all started watching Ted Lasso Mm. together. I mean, you know, like we got these big Mm. kids and we're going to the lake and everyone's sleeping late and everyone's taking care of. I had to wake everybody up at 915 this morning. But on the other hand, when you said that about eating, one of my kids this morning said to me, why do we have to do yard work? Why can't you just do it? I said, okay, <laughs> see, that? why you be asking me to do stuff? <laughs> so it doesn't, that might not change for a That's while. That's hilarious. Yeah, you live here. You I work. said two reasons. Number one, I said so. Number two, you live mm-hmm. here. <laughs> you don't do half the amount of work that we do That's to right. support That's you. That's right. When we talked last, we were talking about pre-sale for your first book. Were we? It wasn't out yet? It wasn't out yet. Gay Girl, Good God was not out yet. It came out, when, well, do you know when it came yes, out? September of that year. So that was April. We talked about you could pre-order it. And I remember, Jackie, I've mentioned this before off air to somebody else, but I remember when I sat down with you, I was anxiously nervous, if that's a good way Mm -hmm. to put it, because I knew the conversation that we were going to have. You and I had had conversations like this offline for a year or two ahead of that. And it was going to be the first time on the happy hour I sat down and talked to someone about their sexuality. Mm -hmm. And I was so nervous. I mean... 
I was nervous, not because of me, not because of you. I don't like confrontation. And so I was like, people are about to be mad. They're going to leave all the things. We had the greatest response Mm. from our conversation. Mm -hmm. And I've had so many conversations since then about God's view of sexuality. And so I want to say thank you for kind of helping me have those little baby steps (laughs) on there. But we had that conversation. You released your book. How's your book done? How has this been? Yeah, it's done done exceedingly well. It's been translated into, I think, four or five languages at this point, and it's helped pay a lot of bills. <laughs> so it that's praise beautiful. Jesus. But I think I think the the transcending encouragement above all of those is that it's helped people to love people in the gay community better, you know. But it's also helped those who deal and struggle with same sex attraction to have hope. And that was really my main goal. Is like I want mm-hmm. cats in the church that identify as heterosexual to be able to have some sense of empathy and compassion and just be equipped to love their gay neighbors sons, whatever. But I also wanted people Mm -hmm. in the church who struggle with same-sex attractions to know like you're not alone and that God really is strong. And so I've had multiple testimonies that attest to both of those categories. And so I'm grateful. Honestly, I can die happy after I have the baby. (laughs) (laughs) How does that feel for you? Like, obviously feels like you and I both like we want to do things that are successful and I don't want to act dumb about that like we want to create great things but how does it feel for you to be a part of literally someone's hope I mean we know Jesus is the hope obviously but you can be a conduit of that how does that feel for you is it feel like are you honored are you humbled Mm -hmm. do you feel adequate inadequate like what does that look like for Jackie thinking through a mixture of things I think I feel like okay that's a part of the thing you know that's a part of the mission that God has called us to is to influence, you know, for the sake of the gospel. And when you look at the scriptures, that's kind of what all these guys do. <laughs> like we are encouraged mm-hmm. and inspired and spurred on to love Jesus and love mm-hmm. people more by looking at the lives of individuals. So that's one. It's like, oh, okay, I think I'm on the right path. I think there does come with a certain amount of pressure because I think even aside from influencing people or encouraging people and how they think about sexuality, I think there's the whole package of being also a Bible teacher that makes you, you know, to whom much is given, much is required. And so I think even this last mm-hmm. year has been a greater burden on God. Help me have character that supersedes my gifting. It's just easier to be gifted and talented than it is to be godly. And so that's the tension that I really wrestle with is making sure that I'm just, I have integrity at the end Mm. of the day. And how are you doing that practice? I think one is honesty, like letting God know where there are problems, like with my pride primarily. I I think that's usually Mm -hmm. where people descend off the cliff is beginning to believe Mm -hmm. their own press, beginning to believe that they are more spiritually mature just because they can articulate certain theological truths. And so me kind of having this self-awareness is helpful. And then keeping really solid, wise, older people in my life. I talk about that all the time, but like, I just Mm -hmm. have some really wise women who will, they don't see all the smoke and mirrors. They Mm -hmm. see the things that need to be addressed. So. Mm -hmm. 
And listen, we've seen the people fall down. And man, I tell God all the time, help me make it Seriously. to the end. I don't want to fall down. I want to make it to the end. And so whatever that looks like, let yeah. that happen. You know, one of the things I was going to ask you is a lot has changed in your life, even in the past three years with yeah. fame. And I'm hearing you say that it can be a struggle. You see it as a gift that God's given you to influence for the gospel. But there has to be struggles that come mm-hmm. along with that as well for you and Preston and your family. And you guys have conversations about what that we actually, looks like. We did a podcast about it. about fame that we haven't released. As a family, I don't think so because our life is really so regular. But I guess if there was a struggle, I think the pandemic kind of adjusted it, which was, I think with a certain Mm -hmm. level of influence, you have more privileges and power to leave the home. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and so I was gone in 2019. I was, I had 120 flights under my Delta account. That's a lot. Mm-mm, you got that good oh, status. Diamond, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's excessive. It really is. When you have a family, when you're trying to stay rooted, mm-hmm. all the things. And so mm-hmm. the pandemic was really good in shifting my attention back to the fact that my children need me. Like it was good for my mental and emotional health to be home. And so I've yeah, gone yeah. from taking all kinds of events to saying, yeah, no, I'm only going to do 10 to 15 a year. So yeah. I think that's one of the ways that fame has affected the family is that you just have all these opportunities and you just have a, to give a hard no, because I just have to love my family more than yeah. other people. It's so good. The worst part about saying no is losing that status, though. You might lose that Delta. Delta That's why you get a Delta credit card and you spend purchases. So I'm almost diamond because I have a Delta business card where I make business purchases. It's a hustle. (laughs) <laughs> Let me tell you, if you're going to learn anything from Jackie and I today, it's that when you start flying, pick an airline. Oh, it's stay important. With it. It's huge. I hear people, they're like, I'm flying this one. Mm-mm. And then no, 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 and for me, they're going to treat you bad sometimes. It's like it's like that boyfriend. <laughs> he's nice sometimes, but sometimes he's not. That's how American is to me. Delta but you know has what? been exceedingly kind. I'm sorry. I know we've had we've had this conversation. Jackie, another thing that you have besides baby that's in your belly that will be coming out this year. Is that what we're looking at? Uh, 2022. Math. 2022. 2021, you're releasing I your am. second book. And I want you to give us a snippet about it because we're actually going to have you back yeah. on the happy hour to talk about it again. But tell me just a little bit yeah, about it's this called book. Holier Than Thou, How the Holiness of God Helps Us Trust Him. And basically, I'm pulling from two passages in scripture, which is Jeremiah 2 and John 6. And Jeremiah 2 in particular, God says, what worthlessness have you found in me that you left me and went after worthlessness? And then in John, Jesus says, can any of you convict me of sin? If not, why don't you believe me? And in both, you Mm. see that God sets up his holiness as an incentive and a reason why he's trustworthy. And so I'm just kind of laying out the fact that like, man, (laughs) if God is holy, it kind of means like he's the most trustworthy being that exists (laughs) in the universe. And I don't think holiness has frequently been framed that way. It's just kind of always been like sin, judgment, wrath, all the things. But it's like pretty scary and and, and like just like, oh, I don't know. even want to talk about holiness because I know I'm not. It's it's bigger than that. It really is. Yeah. Well, I'm excited for it. Jackie, I love you, friend. Love you too, Jamie. Thanks for coming on the show forever ago. You guys are about to hear episode number 190 from April of 2018, where Jackie tells her story. It really is. It was your story of how God saved you. And I love stories like that. And so here it is. Hey, Jackie, welcome to the happy hour. Hi, Jamie. (laughs) This is fun. We're in Memphis, Tennessee together. Yeah. In my hotel room. Yes. At the ERLC MLK 50 conference. That's a mouthful. 
It is. It's a lot of words. It's a lot of words. Yeah. Um, okay, real quick. I know who you are. Tell everyone real quick. Who's Jackie Hill Perry? I think a quick uh, synopsis would be that I am married to Preston Perry. We've been married four years. I just moved to Atlanta six or seven weeks ago. I am eight months pregnant and I have a three-year-old toddler named Eden and I write and stuff. And you write and stuff yeah. and you speak and you're a poet and yeah. Yeah. Uh, real quick. By the time this airs, you will have a baby. Just FYI. Praise God. So this will be out and you'll be holding <laughs> your baby. <laughs> that would be great. Can you tell us her name or are y'all a secret keepers? It's a secret. It's a secret. I love it. it. Um, okay. So I'm just going to let everyone know if they don't follow you on Instagram, they need to go for lots of reasons. You know what I'm about to say? Lots of reasons, but at, le- at least top five, one of them would be to see your daughter. Top one. Top one. For, for most people. And her videos. Yeah. Um, in fact, yesterday I got on the airplane and your husband was sitting on the same plane as I was. Yeah. And I was the weird woman who was like, I know your wife. <laughs> <laughs> He's used to it. He's used to it. Yeah. Um, and so I said, you know, I introduced myself and then I told him later, I was like, and by the way, I really like your daughter too. She's she, great. She's a hoot. She's great. She could have her own channel, but I, I'm just not. Yeah, I don't want to make a star baby. Where this is I, this is a worry I had when I went from one to two. Yeah, are you worried? Like, a, am I gonna love this kid like I love my first kid? <laughs> B, you have a big personality as number one. Is number what's number two gonna be like? Yeah, um, I'm not worried about the love portion yet. I think as their personalities develop, uh, I am already praying for. Hey, if this kid isn't as quick as Eden. Am I gonna, you know, compare the two and think that somehow how God made them is, you know, less valuable and less awesome. But I think on the other end, I am believing and begging God for a calmer child. (laughs) In the name of Jesus, we all pray. I cannot have two of the same. I just need a quiet. Even though a quiet kid comes with a different set of issues uh, where you don't know if they're depressed or happy or sad (laughs) or mad or anything. That's how I was. Were you a quiet kid? Absolutely. I stayed in my room and didn't talk and just read books. You told me when we met a couple weeks ago that you were a ferocious reader as a kid. Yes. Are you still a ferocious reader? It's harder now because I think life life is different. uh Um, But for the most part... I'm one of those, I'll read two or three chapters of a book, get the gist and move on. But I'll do that to five books at the same time. Or I'll just dig throughout a book for a long time. Mm -hmm. So like I've been reading 12 Years a Slave for two years because I'll just be like, oh, I still have that that on my phone Uh and I'm on a plane. You're a phone reader. Sometimes. Okay. At home, I read tangible books. Yeah. On planes, I don't want to carry extra uh, stuff, <laughs> so I read books on my phone. Okay. Yeah. Is 12 Years a Slave good? It's great. His language is amazing. It's worth reading. Which to me had to be interesting when he d- talked to a slave owner and they saw that he talked better than most Europeans. Mm. I would think that would have been intriguing that, mm-hmm. oh, you must have been stolen. I know nothing about the book. Oh, yeah. He was a, a slave that was, he was a freed man that was stolen and became a slave, but he was like pretty well off, all of that. And so it's like, you got this slave that talks better than everybody. <laughs> should let you know there's some legal action going on. It's a great book. So who wrote the book? Is it just a story about this man? No, it's him. This man wrote the book. Solomon Northrup. And it's a movie Thanks. about well, it. I know it's a movie and yeah. I wasn't going to be like, ah, have you seen the movie? Yeah. I haven't seen the movie actually. It's, it's amazing. Who's in the movie? Maybe I have. I don't know his name. Okay. never mind. But it's beautiful. Okay. And hard and sad. Should- should I watch the movie or read the book? 
Watch the movie, then read the book. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I would go backwards. Okay. Yeah. Then the book would be easier to read, I bet. If you got characters, yeah. you got visions. And, and I like having visual context mm-hmm. for stuff. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, this is what it looked like. Yeah. Potentially. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to add that to my list. Yeah, you should. Speaking of reading lists, I went down to the bookstore yesterday here at the conference, and I was thinking I could go home with like 15 new books. Is your book down there? It is. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) That has to be an awesome feeling. It is a good feeling. Um, Okay, so you spoke yesterday, and I told you this. We were together at the Abundance event in Biloxi a couple weeks ago, Mm -hmm. and you're going to be at all of them except for Colorado Springs. Yes. So if anyone's listening and you want to come out, see Jackie. But I told you it was my first time actually to sit under your teaching, I believe. Mm. Did you teach at Verge or did you read, did you do um, spoken word? I don't remember. I don't either. No. So <laughs> our mem- my memory says that was my first time to yeah. sit under your teaching. And I was just, um, I hope you take this as a compliment. Mm-hmm. I was completely blown away mm. at the way that you took God's word and expounded on it. And you just taught straight from scripture. Yeah, um, That's how our church teaches. That's how I like to learn. Um, that is not easy to do. No. And so um, <clears throat> when I speak, that is super hard. Mm. So I was super impressed. Mm. And I went home and I was like, Aaron, Jackie can teach. Yay. Jackie can preach. That's awesome. So you spoke yesterday at yeah. this conference. And this conference is all um, celebrating the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. Um, actually, the day we're recording today is yeah. 50 years since his assassination. You said this. You spoke about, uh, and this is a value to me. Mm-hmm. I think this is going to be a value to our listeners. A lot of my listeners um, are parents, mamas. And you spoke about teaching our next generation. Mm-hmm. You said this. Your indifference to gospel diversity will become a norm to them by which their worldviews will be shaped. Yes. Tell me about that. Define gospel diversity, first yeah. of all. Yeah. And then that was a, oh, dang, she just went there. Yeah. Well, I think gospel diversity can be viewed for a myriad of ways, but I think it's ultimately how does the gospel uh, govern how we love other people that are different than us? And I think that involves justice, that involves race relations, that involves our friendships, uh, our conversations, et cetera. We are learning a whole bunch of stuff, I think, about race stuff. We're reading a lot of books, going to a lot of conferences, listen to a bunch of podcasts. But knowledge only goes so far um, when it's not lived out. Mm. And so it's like even that is a, a lesson for your children is oh, let me accumulate all of this stuff and never do any of it. (laughs) And so to me, it was, if you are indifferent, if you do not care, you may not be telling your children, hey, don't love your neighbor, but you're showing them how not to love their neighbor simply by not caring, simply by being biased, you know? I'm telling you, I was convicted sitting there and I I take in a lot of knowledge Mm -hmm. and... I, I'm not going to. I could list out some ways that I look and say like, oh, I love my neighbor. Yeah. And I was convicted. Mm. I mean, it was good. It was really good. And I think about, you know, I mentioned to you, most of my listeners are white women. Yeah. Um, and I think about, to me, I have this kind of idea of, okay, I have a microphone. They're listening to me so I can say whatever I want, right? Yeah. And so many times I think that um, white people, their indifference it is teaching their kids something. Absolutely. I say like, I have, I have to work overtime to teach my kids who are one's white, three are black about things, but I'm more, I'm a lot concerned about the other neighbors in my school district, all the white moms. Are they saying anything to their white kids? Yeah. That's, 
That's where my heart, that's where I feel like my voice is like, hey, listen, white women, if you are not talking to your white kids Mm -hmm. about the issues and the indifferences, then we have a problem. Yeah. Right? Talking and doing. Talking and doing. Thank you. That's why. What are we doing? That's right. That's why I pointed out uh, how your children, they know who you invite to your dinner table. They hear your prayers. They, They know if you only pray for people who are just like you, Mm. you know? And so it's just like, that is just, we are modeling how the Christian life is to be lived in relation to everything, including race, um, to our children or our mentees or our disciples or our parishioners. So yesterday, your husband did a spoken word piece called Dear Mike Brown. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was in the back of the room and I had tears streaming down my face. Um, And sometimes as sometimes I don't know what to do with that. You know what I'm saying? And so I I had tears streaming down my face because your husband was recounting experience and we'll link to it and everyone has to go um, watch it. But I had tears streaming down my face for like my kids, Mm -hmm. for my Amos who has dark brown skin Mm -hmm. and my Deacon who has light brown skin. Um, And you talked about recently about moving to Atlanta Mm -hmm. and how you've seen a difference coming from Chicago to Atlanta. Yeah. With the way your husband has been treated. Yeah. More your husband than you. Would you say that? Absolutely. Yeah. I haven't seen it for myself. What has he said about that? Um, I think he expects it. I, I think we go in, specifically Preston, he goes into white spaces, um, whether that's regions or conferences or whatever, expecting in some sense to be marginalized just because that's just so such a normative thing for him. Um, and I, I think that the most recent situation was when he was driving home and he tried to uh, get in front of a guy in a truck and the dude let down his window and was like, you're not going to get in front of me, you black mf I'll kill you. And Wait, this happened this year? Two, th- two this weeks is, ago. This is what, yeah. Two weeks ago, yeah. And then, uh, so Preston ended up still getting in front of him and he saw the guy speeding up to write down his license plate number. And so those are the kinds of experiences that he's gotten in Georgia that I don't think he would get in Chicago. And racism obviously exists in Chicago, but it's it's not like that. Yeah. That was, that was intense. Uh And so, but it doesn't, I think it saddens him, but sadly it's, he's become numb to it at the same time where it doesn't grieve him as much as it would someone if that was their first experience with racism, mm. you know? Just recently, we were watching on TV, there was a, a documentary that was on about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And our whole family said, it was Martin Luther King and the media. And it was really fascinating and intriguing that. to me, uh, just being in media. Yeah. Um, I had just also been to the Billy Graham um, library, and mm. there's a whole thing about what he did through media. And so I was really fascinated by mm. it. But as we watched it, um, they also went to current day and mm. how we see some of the same things mm-hmm. that were happening, you know, 50 years ago um, to our black brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. And their point was, how have we changed? Mm-hmm. And so I'm sitting there and these, these situations are beyond uncomfortable for mm-hmm. me with my kids yeah. beyond, because I want to just kind of bury my head in the sand and tell my kids, this will never happen to you. Everything's fine. Kumbaya. Yeah. Let's go to bed. Yeah. Good night. But I know the reality that that's not okay. So I, I enter into these hard spaces with mm-hmm. them as much as I can. And I want to, I want to do this better, but man, hearing, seeing you talk about your husband and then tucking in my son, Amos. And he said, mom, that, that show kind of scared me. Mm-hmm. I said, what do you mean, baby? He said, am I going to get shot? Wow. And those conversations suck. And I know, and I said this to you a couple weeks ago, the thing that I know now is that they suck for me Mm. 
But my black brothers, sisters, this is their reality. They yeah. have these conversations all the time. All the time. Yeah. This didn't, I'm just now feeling it. Yeah. And, and I don't know, what to, I don't know what to do with it either. You know, praise God that you feel it at all. But I'm, I'm thankful for, I'm thankful for, for your voice. Yeah. I'm thankful for all of these things. Yeah. I know that it is, I'm sure you get weary of these conversations. Weary and encouraged. I'm glad that they're happening. Good. I, I know there are some that are discouraged by the repetitiveness of it all. But I mean, that's how humanity is. God, throughout the Old Testament, was telling these people the same thing. Over and over, over and over and over, over, and, over, over again. and over again. And, and that's how we function as human beings, where it sometimes takes years and years of hearing the same thing until it finally clicks into the heart. So I'm cool with that. You're cool. With that. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you. And I'm so glad to know you. If you don't know it, guys, I'm a Texas girl through and through. I've lived here most of my life. I was born here and I love traveling. Here's why I love traveling throughout Texas, because it has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities, which means there's an infinite number of different travel experiences. And no two travelers are exactly alike. And it means that no two trips should be either. If you're a beach person, well, you can have fun under the sun with Texas's 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies cannot get enough of Texas's world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interests. Guys, come visit my state. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn ebay motors is here for the ride with some elbow grease and a whole lot of love you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own led headlights spoilers whatever you need ebay motors has it at affordable prices and with ebay guaranteed fit it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply you guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. 
Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music. Just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. Let's do this. Yeah. I don't know your story. Okay. I know that you're in the midst of, not in the midst, you have turned in a completed manuscript. Yes. A first draft, a completed Third man. draft. Third draft. Girl, <laughs> yeah. you have turned it in. That is a feat in itself. You have a book that is probably coming out in 2018. Mm. I will keep everyone in the loop about it. Yes. Um, but it's your story. Yeah. Does releasing your story to the world, do you feel like this is amazing? I can't wait. Or do you feel like, what the heck have I done? Uh, I think because I've released it in so many different forums already, whether through poetry or interviews or blogs, it doesn't feel any different. If if anything, it feels more gratifying because I'm able to explain my story in chapters instead of snippets. Yeah. And you're going to get a wider audience. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm excited um, because for the longest I've wanted to be able to put my story out there, but not even mainly my story, but also the instruction that I've learned from discipleship after uh, God brought me to himself, you know, because you, you, once you share your story, now you have others who identify with it that want help and want uh, yeah, some type of application. And yeah. it's just like, it's only so many conversations you can have on Facebook, but to be able to give someone a book would be great. That's good. Yeah. So let's go back to the beginning. Yeah. Let's go back. Uh, pre Jesus. BC. BC. <laughs> BC before Christ in your life, before Preston in your life, mm-hmm. before all of this, you know, Jackie stand on stage, poet, speak, yeah. write a book, all those things. Tell me about Jackie Hill. Well, man, uh, born in St. Louis, a single parent household. I saw my father occasionally. Um, I have a line in my book where I said it felt like my father loved me sometimes, Mm. which is heavy. That's Uh, really heavy. You know, Uh, and so I didn't didn't know until I got older how much uh, his absence affected me, but it did. It affected my view of myself, uh, my view of men. And I think it exalted my view of women in a sense, because all I knew was a woman's love and a woman's affection and a woman's uh, comfort. But I think as early as kindergarten is when I started to notice a difference in me from other girls. I noticed that I noticed girls. Uh, I noticed boys, too, but I liked both uh, at that time. And I didn't know how to articulate what I felt. I didn't have a name for it, especially this was maybe 93, 94. So it wasn't the word homosexuality wasn't even in the forefront on MTV yet Mm -hmm. (laughs) as much as it is now now. for me to know, oh, that's what I'm feeling. Um, And then when I started to go to church, I went to church with my aunt who was a believer um, every weekend. And that's when I started to actually hear the word in conjunction with sin and judgment. But it was spoken about in such a way where it's like, Oh, this isn't something I could just tell people and they'll give me a hug after. <laughs> this is interesting that yeah. you remember hearing about. Yeah. This probably is the era when everyone was going kind of crazy. Yeah. This is when, well, was did the whole AIDS thing come up in the 80s or the 90s? Remember that when the 80s. world went kind of nuts? It was 80s. I think early 90s was when there started to be more of 
uh, an awareness towards HIV and AIDS and stuff like that, where people began to be more loving. But I still believe that the church uh-huh. had not yet learned how to work We're still learning. It. We we are, mm-hmm. but we're much we better. We're much better, um, especially from pulpits. Yes, and so yeah, I was I was in the thick of that. Okay, so you hear this? What word do you remember hearing? I don't remember. I, I, I remember more the tone than the words. Okay, the the tone was negative. So you remember hearing this is this what I feel is wrong? Yeah, and don't tell anybody. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> no one will hug you. Uh, no one will hug you after you say that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. Um, and so I'm growing. I'm growing up with that. And so how I'm feeling is a secret, um, but it's also a source of shame uh, for me. And so as I was just going about life, it was always something that I knew existed, but I just didn't know what to do with. Um, and I was too afraid to act out on until. But you're still feeling the same feelings. Absolutely. Um, especially and as a as a girl, as a young woman, you have friends that are girls. And so you're dealing with, oh, I have a crush on my friend, but I can't tell her that mm-hmm. like I could if I had a crush on, you know, Le John John. Right, right. You know, Down on the corner. Four yeah. over. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so it, I just have to. And there's no one for me to let uh, tell this, tell this to. I uh, didn't have Facebook to vent to or, you know, nothing, nothing. It, I so books, this is literally a secret inside of you. For sure. OK. Um, so, yeah, when high school came, I was uh, 17 and a young lady from middle school that I knew she came up and flirted with me. And she was in middle school. Yeah. OK. And so, I, well, we met in middle school. Oh, OK, I gotcha. I thought she was like 12 and you were 17. That's that's different. Um <laughs> Sorry. She was 16. I was, I was 17. Got it. Got it. And uh, she flirted with me and I responded uh, as heterosexual as I can. Like, mm-hmm. girl, if you don't get out my face with that gay stuff or whatever. But to me, it was like, oh, this is my chance because someone has approached me where I don't have to do it you myself. You have to do it. Yeah. Uh, and so I went home and I just kind of started to debate with myself of, is this something I want to do? Is this something I want to pursue? I think it is. I'll just try it. So I got on MySpace and uh, <laughs> I, I messaged her on MySpace and we started a relationship. And from there, I was just in the game. I didn't care anymore. Yeah. So. How long was that debate at home? <laughs> 10 minutes. And then you set him in. Yeah. Did you feel at that point, because you had grown up, what you said, what you told me, mm-hmm. I hear in the church, this is wrong. Don't tell anybody. Yeah. Did you feel any point of... I don't know if I should, I don't know. Cause I don't know where you were with God. Right. So was there any kind of like conscious about, I don't know, do I want to, cause you had, you had said, I knew that this was not okay with God. You heard that, right? Yeah. So did you feel anything of this isn't okay? Yeah. Okay. That was, that was part of the debate. Okay. Because I was also, as I told you uh, before, I was also a very weird kid where I read the Bible. So it wasn't just that I had heard from the pulpit that it was wrong. I had read it for myself. And so I knew to a certain extent that even though the tone and the presentation of what God thought about uh, same sexuality might have been off, I knew that the essence of what that what they were saying was true that God was holy and that he had an intention for how our sexuality was to be displayed. And so when I was conversing with myself, that was part of the conversation was, is this a route I want to go knowing Knowing that God God ain't with this? You know, as if my entire life wasn't already ratchet. But 
you know, it, I saw it seemed as like if, a big crossroads. Yeah, I felt like that was the biggest thing uh-huh. when it's not. But I thought it was. But the pulpit used to teach that. Yeah. Yeah. Like so let's this, just, this was abominable. Yes. You know? Uh-huh. And it is abominable, uh-huh. but so is lying. So, yeah, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> so, okay. So you enter and you're in. Yeah. And you're 17. Yeah. Have you graduated yet or you're in high school still? I haven't graduated Does yet. Does your mama know? Absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> so this is still a secret. Yeah. But it's now a secret with one other person. Yes. Okay. And so we entered into a relationship and I... um. Yeah, I got with her and we were together maybe six days. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say this was a long term no, thing. It was so childish. And so after that, I was like, you know what? Let me go back to boys and see if you I did. still like boys. Okay. I tried uh-huh. and I kissed this boy and it wasn't him. I had kissed him before. So it wasn't him. It was just like, Ugh, I don't like your mouth. Mm-hmm. Like I just I just when I was with her, it opened up something in me where I realized I prefer women. I prefer their bodies. I prefer their conversation. I prefer their, uh, the way they treat me over how men treat me. And so when I, after that situation with that boy, and I say boy because we were children, I concluded in my mind, I'm gay. And, and that's just how it's going to be. And so I was in the closet Maybe for six months um, until my mother found out in the strangest way possible. You want to tell us that or no? I sure can. Uh, We were in the car and there was, at this point I had another girlfriend, but I had been with her almost a year. And my mom thought she was my best friend, Mm -hmm. but I knew she thought, knew something was up. It's like no best friend is over your house all day, every day. And the vibe of our relationship was just really intimate. And so there's this radio, this talk radio show on, and the conversation is uh, they wanted mothers to call in and talk about when they found out that their daughters were gay and what were the signs. Okay, wait, you and your mom are in the car. In the car. And that's the topic. Is the girlfriend with you? No. Okay. Oh, I'm so I'm sweating. Okay. So, I have so much anxiety I in bet my you seat. do. And all of the mothers, every single sign they had was me. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, why? Like, why? Why now? Like, I would have rather her heard that when I was at the crib. Right. You know? And so she turns it down. And she looks at you. And she turns to me. It's like a movie. It is a movie. A lifetime movie. <laughs> it is a lifetime movie. She turns to me and she was like, is that you? And I was like, Yeah. And she's like, I knew it. And I just started crying. I wasn't crying because I was caught. I was crying because I felt exposed. Mm-hmm. I felt like, you know, her dream of me was probably shattered because yeah. she it, it, she looks sad. Yeah. You know, and so it was like, man, I've caused my mother some type of grief because of who I love. Uh-huh. So. so now you're still with this girl. Your mom knows. I want to hear... When did you start? When did God capture? Is that is that what happens next in the story? Is God captures your heart and well, after that I actually start wilding out because it was nothing to hide from anymore. Once your mama knows, it's like, hey, it is what it is. So, so now you're you're just this is who I am. Yeah, gay pride parades, gay clubs. Um, at this point, I've already transitioned to a, a stud. So a stud in the black community is uh, a lesbian that kind of dresses. Uh, male acts very masculine, very dominant in her lesbian relationships. Is that only in a black community? The word stud. Okay. Um, but in white communities, it might be referenced as butch. Okay. Um, and and it's it's a distinctive. It's not trans necessarily. It's got it. Yeah. And so um, 
I was that. And so that already had a, brought a wedge between me and my mother and even kind of was weird to some of my friends. It's like, oh, you were just like wearing like Hollister uh-huh. the other day. And, and now, now, now I'm wearing boxers. I'm uh-huh. sagging. I'm wearing uh, uh, sports bras to flatten my chest out so I didn't look like I had breasts. Yeah. Stuff like that. Um, and then a little after that, around after I graduated, which was 2007, my father died, which was hurtful, but not hurtful in the sense of I'm going to miss him because you can't miss someone you were never around. But hurtful in the sense of all of the hope that I had and what we could be is gone. Yeah. Uh, and so that was pretty sad. But then I got some money from his death and I bought like a car off eBay. I just started doing a whole bunch of dumb things. The car got towed a month later. And <laughs> this type of stuff. But at the same time that my life was getting really uh, ratchet, my convictions were getting louder where I was aware of the lack of peace that I had between me and God. Uh, I would go to sleep and sense that he wanted me, sense his drawing near to me. And I called my cousin. She was the only cousin that I knew that she was the only Christian that I knew that would call and talk to me about life and not just Leviticus. Uh And so I called her and I'm like, hey, I feel like God is calling me, but I really don't want God. Like, I'm just... I'm kind like, of trying cool. to tell him no. Yeah, like I'm good, you know, uh-huh. like I'm 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 enjoying myself and she was like God um is going to show you how much you need him. I don't know. I didn't know what that meant. I'm like, okay, whatever. Um but in October 2008 is when I was just in my room doing nothing. Um and I felt God speak to my heart and tell me that the lifestyle was specifically that the girl that I was with would be the death of me, but it in in that moment when I felt like I heard God speak to my heart, it wasn't just lesbianism. It was your life. It was I saw holistically that everything I loved and did and enjoyed was displeasing to God. Um, and I had I had to make a decision. And so I just had a conversation with God. And I was like, God, I don't want to be straight, though. <laughs> because the assumption right. is always if God is calling me to himself, then he's calling me to be heterosexual. Yeah. When that wasn't what he was necessarily calling me to. Yes, he was calling me to relinquish my uh, allegiance to my sexuality over his lordship. But ultimately, he was calling me to be holy and calling me to love him and calling me to serve him. And in doing so, even as my temptation, as, as they arose, I would be able to flee them every time because of what Jesus has done. Did you know all that in that moment? No, because I, I'm, I'm mixing my current theology with. <laughs> because you said you have read the Bible yeah. and you knew that God was holy and all these things. What, what I, you just said. What I knew was or what I chose to believe is that God would help me. Okay. At that and that's moment. That's the most simplest way of that's, saying, I don't want to be straight yes. and I don't want to follow you, yes. but I believe you'll help me. Absolutely. So you didn't know I'm going to lay over my allegiance. No, I okay. didn't know Romans and yeah. Ephesians uh-huh. and how the resurrection, you know, meant that I had power over sin uh-huh. and death. I ain't yeah. know nothing, atonement, uh-huh. justification. But I, and that's what I told God, because after I told him that I, I didn't want to be straight, I felt him speak to me again and say, just learn to love me. And I'm like, oh, it's that simple. It's just, it's just that. And so I knew that I had two options. It's I reject God in this moment and continue to live how I want to live, or I choose him. And I felt like in choosing him, that had to be the better option because he's God. Um, and, and a part of my choosing, it wasn't me 
wanting to flee hell. It wasn't about hell, really. It was, I really saw that God was better. And that's that wasn't me. That's legitimately some Holy Spirit lifting the veil from my eyes where I see the glory of God in Jesus Christ and I see him as worthy above all things. And so I chose him by his grace. Right there in your bedroom. Yes. Which I, I literally adore stories like this. Yeah. We've had a lot this semester on the happy hour yeah. of God revealing himself to people in ways that only he can, yeah. not from anyone from a pulpit, not from anyone on the side of the street, yeah. not from someone telling them they're going to go to hell if they don't repent. It's literally God, the Holy Spirit, yeah. drawing them to him. And so I I love that so much because we get to see this is what God says he's going to do. Yeah, he, he wasn't going to get me at a church. Because I didn't go. Because you didn't go. Yeah. Church, people at church looked at me like I was a gnat. And church people on the outside <laughs> of church, I'm sure. This, they didn't talk to me. Okay. Yeah. I was never a witness. And you don't have to witness to people, but I was, I felt, and I was in St. Louis. I'm in Missouri, which is still kind of, it's Midwest, but it's Southern. Uh-huh. And so I'm in a place that isn't the most liberal. And so I wasn't fully, I didn't feel accepted in public, except when I was around the gay community. Uh-huh. And so I was not going to step foot in the church at all. So God was like, I got to meet this girl in her bedroom. <laughs> and he did. And I got to re- meet her at Damascus. There you go. You know? so. so he meets you in your bedroom. You have this moment of, God, I'm going to choose you and you're going to help me. Yes. That is the most childlike faith. Yeah. Because what you're saying is, I don't want you <laughs> and I don't want to change my life. Yeah but I'm going to choose that you're better. Yeah. And then what? Let's say you're all happy. And- Absolutely. It was terrible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, cause the, 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 the hardest thing I knew that I had to do was leave my girlfriend. Yeah. And I loved her. Yeah. I, I, I really, really, really did love her. Um, and so I called her, um, and I broke up with her and told her, Hey, I can't be with you um, because I'm trying to love Jesus. And you I'm said that? Yeah. And I, and I know to her, I know to people, it sounds crazy, but she actually wasn't shocked because, because once again, I was very strange. So I talked about God a whole lot and she was like, I, I'm not, I'm not surprised. And so we cried on the phone together. Um, and that was that. And then from there I had to wait till I got my check from Wendy's, I worked at Wendy's because uh-huh. I need. To, I wanted to change my clothes. Not no to one be, told you to do that. No, but for me it was if I continue to dress like a stud, I'm, I will continue to attract women, and I know that I will not turn them down. Uh-huh. Um, and so it wasn't me trying to be a person that I wasn't. It was me trying to protect my soul. Uh-huh. You know. Okay. And there was no books for me to read. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for like what to do, I just do some little basic things. Like maybe I should get a real bra. Uh huh. You know. <laughs> maybe I should. You know. Get go, some panties instead of boxers. Maybe I should find a church. You know. Yeah. And I found a church within a week. Wow. Um, and started to attend that. So, so you got your check and you went and got some essentials. I went to Forever 21. Forever 21. I did. I hated it. I hated it. Hated it. Like putting on the pants and the shirts. And uh, I remember walking and dudes looking at me again. I hadn't got used to that. I was like, oh, I, uh-huh. I forgot some men think I'm pretty. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was It was a difficult, it was probably, I think, two or three years after I came to Christ were some of the most difficult times because it's me learning how to resist the temptations that I've been given into my entire life. 
um, and me trying to figure out not only how not to submit to my sexuality, but how to be honest, how to have spiritual disciplines, how to love my neighbor, how to uh, be kind to people. Everything that the fruits of the spirit are, it's me trying to infuse that holistically inside of my life. And so without discipleship, which I ended up getting, I, I don't know where I'd be. Yeah. Which we could take out your sin struggle and start anybody's yeah. after coming to know the Lord. Yeah. And, you know, there it would be. And so it, anyone could understand that. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's hard. You're, you're learning how to walk when you never walked before. You know? Yeah. You find a church. How was that with, did you feel, you know, before you said, I felt like I couldn't tell anyone and they would hug me. Yeah. Well, how did you feel now? I felt welcomed. The first time I went to the church, um, one of the uh, women from the church, she came up to me and she said, hey, what's your name? I was like, Jackie. And she looked at me and she said, Jackie. And she nodded her head as if to remember my name. And that moment was so significant to me because it was like she took the extra effort to make sure that if I came back, she would know who I was. Mm -hmm. And that's what made me return. It wasn't the sermon because I don't remember anything you said. Couldn't even understand it because I didn't know the Bible Uh like that. Um, It wasn't the worship. It was that interaction where I felt like somebody saw me and and wanted me to be there. Uh Um, And so it wasn't the most theologically sound church, but it was an incredibly loving church. And so that's what I needed at that time. So that transition for you over those two years of learning to walk, like you said, um, how do you look at right now people who are coming to know the Lord and we'll just insert anything, mm-hmm. you know, we're having to learn to walk. How, how did you feel as though that church, they did what for you mm-hmm. to help you in that time? Show me God in community because I was able to see people that loved each other, people that were different, people that were prophetic even, where I would be going through something and talk to somebody and they start praying what I'm going through, even though I never was specific, where it's like, you know, just the weird spiritual gift stuff uh-huh. where it's like, oh, I think to me that was like, oh, I could, the the the, the body of Christ is even used by God to comfort and convict and encourage me. Or it isn't just my private time in the word. It isn't just my own personal prayer. It isn't just me turning on YouTube worship. It was, oh, I need these people uh-huh. um, to to maintain and to be sustained by the spirit of God. And so that's what they did. They They walked freely in the gifts of God and they walked in love in a way that made them available to me whenever I needed it. Yeah. You know, when did you start to say, I actually want to talk about this transit, this life change? It was immediate. Well, I have Facebook one. <laughs> you did immediate. Immediately. And that that's part of my personality. Okay. I'm, 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 I'm quiet, but I'm not timid. And so I got on Facebook and I talked about it. And then it something happened. Oh, uh, this ministry in L.A., they had shirts that they they made for people to share their testimony. And one of the shirts said ex-homosexual, no, ex-stud. I was like, oh, that's pretty bold. I want one. You got one. <laughs> so, but to get one, you had to write your testimony. Okay. So I wrote my testimony. They emailed me back and they said, hey, 
can we come out to St. Louis and tape your testimony and put it on YouTube? And this was a pretty major ministry at the time on social, not social media, but YouTube. And so they came out and they taped my testimony. And this is how many years after you started following Jesus? This is five months, probably. Five months? Yeah. And so then I connected with the pastor. He hits me up and says, hey, I heard you write poetry on occasion. Can you write an ex-stud poem? I'm like, nah, I'm good. I don't want to do that. Can I just ask a question real quick? Yeah. Five months into a, a new lifestyle, a new wardrobe, a new idea about sex, five months in, yeah. did you ever think, what if I fail? No. I don't think like that, though. Like, you were in. Yeah, I, I don't think like, if I do fail, so get up. <laughs> it's like, to me, I, was, I don't have this. Because uh, you were all, you're like, okay. Yeah, it is what it is. Either I trust God or I don't. And if I fall, I get back up and I trust him some more. And so I never had a negative view of my future in a sense. It was just, I was very, very hopeful um, in a lot of different ways. And so. I wrote the poem. It became uh, not viral, but it got really, really popular on YouTube. And that's what started my public ministry was through me sharing my testimony on YouTube in 2009. And so I did not even know that. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> now I'm sitting with Jamie Ivy. <laughs> we are <laughs> 10 years later. Right. Uh, okay, so what have the last 10 years looked like for you? Um, I mean, I know that you, that's probably opened up a lot of doors and stuff, but what did the last 10 years look for you? Like per, I mean, you're married. Yeah. So w- tell me about that. How <sighs> dating Weird. and man, honestly, the dating situation and courtship was the hardest thing because Preston is my first real heterosexual relationship. I, when I'm 14 and we just, yeah, you know, send the notes to yeah. each other and uh, roses on Valentine's Day, that's not real. But Preston, um, and so when we got together, I knew, I felt called by God and it, to be with this man. Um, and there was something in my heart that wanted to. I had a legitimate affection for him. I had a legitimate attraction to him that I already thought was strange that I have an attraction for a man. But when we got together, it was a weird thing for me to adjust to being the woman in a relationship. Like when he even after all those years, yeah, when he would hug me and hold my waist, that was uncomfortable for me because that's what you because used that's to what do. I did. So it's like, oh, I have to put my my hands on your shoulders. That's uh-huh. kind of strange. Or like when I would hold his hand, he has a man's hand, so they're not as soft uh-huh. and gentle, and he has facial hair. All of which are cute. Yeah. But it was it was an adjustment. It was something that I had to learn to embrace. And so as I learned to love Preston, then I learned to enjoy and take pleasure in the manliness of Preston, um, which is it took time and it's still taking time. There are still areas in which I am not used to manliness or thrown off by manliness or feel threatened by manliness. But I think that's all right. That's what sanctification is about. That's what sanctification is about. Yeah. You think it'll always be that way? I hope not. One day. But I have a lot of trauma, which we haven't even dug into. (laughs) So I I think with trauma and life and all of that, there will always be things that I'm learning to overcome. But I really am seeing that God really does intend for us to be as free as we can be on earth. We will be free eternally in heaven. He also wants it here. But he's providing freedom here through the church and even through counseling, um, through books, through 
self-care through all types of means uh-huh. where he's like, no, nah, I want you to, I want you to have some we joy can do here. It here. Yeah. So I want to ask you this real quick. Uh, you're outspoken yes. about this. Obviously here we are talking about it. Um, you're writing a book with your story. Uh, you speak very publicly in very large arenas and very large state uh, stages about God's view of sexuality. Yes. Uh, you get a lot of pushback. <laughs> yes. Yeah. How is that? How do you handle that pushback? Um, well, it's expected. Uh, uh, I think if if you read through the Gospels, Jesus told the truth all the time and it wasn't received all the time. Um, I think when I think understanding the human nature and knowing that we are born in sin and how sin has given us a. A love for lies and an, an affection for tr- an affection for what isn't true, um, where we supp- suppress the truth by our unrighteousness. Knowing the human nature, I don't ever expect for me to teach uh, something like God has ordained for men and women to, be, or God has ordained for marriage to be between one man and one woman, and for sexuality to be expressed. If it is expressed in a sexual context within marriage, that it's to be between one man and one woman, and that's what he ordains. I don't expect to preach that or teach that and for everybody to applaud if the human nature is as God says it is. But I think one thing I've been trying to do is to show the world and show people that push back on this idea is that don't think that God's commandments are a hindrance to your joy. Really, what God is trying to do is to tell you the truth so that you will turn from everything that is keeping you from him. Because if he is everything, if he is God, if he is creator, if he is wise, if he is the source of all comfort, then no sin could ever be as satisfactory as he is, right? And so then that, to me, will allow me to approach Romans 1 differently, where when I see his condemnations of sin, I see them as the pathway for me to actually understand myself and see I can't live this way if I really want to know God. But if if I don't see God rightly, then I'm not going to see my sin rightly, which was the problem with Adam and Eve. You know, she saw the tree and it looked good for food and it looked desirable to the eye. She saw all these good qualities in the thing that God said would kill her. Uh And so it's like she didn't see that she already had wisdom. She already had someone to look at that was better than everything that he had created. But she didn't see that because of sin. And so which when you're dealing with people's sexuality and people feel as though you're dealing with their happiness. Yeah, absolutely. Which is. That makes sense, especially with with sexuality. It's a it's a personal sin. You know, I don't someone that's a drunkard is not walking around saying, hey, this is me. I'm a drunkard. Uh They just get drunk sometimes. Uh But I think when when I was a lesbian, that was a personal part of who I am. That That had to do with my community and my friendships and how I saw the world. And so for you to say that this is sin is for you to imply that I am sinning, which is actually the case. And the truth is, even though you are a sinner, that does not mean that you are in a hopeless state. It means that God has already provided a way out where you don't have to give in to the identity of what sin has made of you, but you can really be set free if you simply just repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you want to continue to hold on to an identity that does not have a promising eternity, then that's the the, the route you choose to take. What do you get in the most emails 
Mm-hmm. What emails do you get the most? Uh, oh. Jackie, you're a heretic. We hate you. Or Jackie, I'm just like you. What do I do? Both. Okay. But I, I think I get I get more encouraging feedback than I do negative. But I think it's also the forums. I don't I speak in a lot of Christian spaces um, and conservative Christian spaces. And so because of that, I don't get as much pushback as I I would, but like when I spoke at Harvard or when I spoke at Princeton or when I'm going places that are much more secular is when I get the, the, the bigoted mail and the hate mail and stuff like that. But that is, that really doesn't throw me off. I expect that because to me, if all I got was positive mail, I would probably be weary or leery if I'm actually preaching the truth. Because I, I don't know how you could walk like Jesus and not be persecuted like Jesus. Well, everyone just need to get on our knees right now because that'll <laughs> convict you. <laughs> it's just, it's just you, you can't you can't teach the whole Bible and not somewhere run into somebody that hates you because of it. And it doesn't pierce your skin. I mean, it, no, it doesn't. I can tell you you're tough, and and I you've said it several times. Like if I I wouldn't expect any less. Yeah, yeah. It's it's it, it comes with its difficulties. And it's discouraging, but my hope isn't in the right now of the situation. If I preach the gospel and you hate me for it, all right, that's cool. But I know for a fact that that is the means by which God saves people is in the preaching of the good news. And I know for a fact that if God wants you, he's going to have you. And so you, you are at, you are a walking <laughs> billboard. Oh, if, that if he God wants you, wants you he's going to come he's get gonna you. have you. And so you might be mad at me now. But by God's grace and his mercy, you never know. Seven years from now, you'll be this you'll be this person walking freely with God that'll come back up to me and say, you know, I hated you, I then, hated you then, but I know Jesus now. God got me. And I've had several testimonies about that in the last 10 years of my life. Where that people, has to be really, really encouraging. Oh, I need that. Yeah. I need that to see that it's not in vain. I remember this young lady who was a part of some, uh, like a gay coalition at her college. And she said, the first time I heard your poem, I hated you. I hated you. And she was like, now, two or three years later, the Lord has worked on my heart in such a way where now I'm preaching the same thing. You know, it's interesting. I was listening to a podcast with uh, on Dr. Moore's podcast, and he had Rosaria Butterfield on there, and she was making a statement that I will never forget until the day I die. She's amazing. She's amazing. She said that she was she she befriend this pastor and his wife befriended her, and she would have dinner with them all the time. And she said they didn't try. They never mentioned my sin. They just told me about Jesus. Yep. I have never forgotten that interview. I never will forget it because she said they weren't as concerned with my sin, Mm. but they were concerned that I knew Jesus. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what you're saying Mm -hmm. is that Jesus captured your heart. Mm -hmm. And with that, you said, I am going to lay it all down. Yeah. Which he's asking all of us to do. For sure. Your sin is different than mine. Yeah. I had to lay down stuff as well. Yeah. You know, it just wasn't my sexuality. Because there's a camp that believes that, and I mean, there's a place for it, for sure. Um, Paul did it. Jesus did it. But there's also, I, I, I said this to a group before. I was like, when I was in sin, when I was actively sinning and disobeying God, people told me more about my sin than they did about God. Uh. Which, if you really understand, not actually knowing and hearing about God doesn't make me hearing about sin actually 
weighty. Right. But it's actually when I hear about God as creator and God as holy and my sin in light of his character, where it's like, oh, this is who my sin is against. And this is who is promising me freedom. Oh, that's that good, That changes Jackie. the yeah. whole situation. That's when, good. When I exalt God more than the person's depravity. Yeah. That's even good for parenting. Like, am I just going to point out my kids' failures? Yeah. Or I'm going to say, well, they actually look how look at God. Yeah. And this is, that's good. Yeah. That's good. It's a perspective change. Um, Jackie, thank you. Thank you. Do you, did you get old talking about your story? No. Okay. It, it, it used to, and so I had to, I had to realize, hey. This is how God's going to use me? Yeah. He ain't saved me to be quiet. <laughs> Preach. I'm going to ask a question that people are wondering. I think I'm going to know the answer to. I get asked this question often when I talk about my story. I was a lot of sex and mm-hmm. pregnant in college and stuff. People ask me, mm-hmm. how does Aaron feel when he hears you tell your story? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask you. I'm sure I'm pretty confident yeah. that Aaron and Preston are probably feeling the same thing. Yeah. How does Preston feel when you tell your story? He's encouraged. Because Preston's sin was a lot like mine. He was he slept with as many women. Whoever could breathe and could walk, he slept with them. And so, so for him, when he hears my story, he sees himself and he sees the mercy and the grace of God. Um, that's actually how we met is him telling his testimony and my, te- my telling of my testimony in poetry form. So that was our introduction to each other. And you know what? This is, this is, Aaron says this all the time because Aaron came into our relationship. He never even kissed a girl. Yeah. Oh. Right? Real save. Real (laughs) (laughs) And then here I am. But he says all the time, like, I had as much, I had sin in my life too. Yep. You know? Yeah. It just looked different. Yep. And it didn't make me better than her. It just made me a sinner just like her. That's a good man. We got good men. Amen. Amen to good men. God do it. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Okay, real quick. What book are you reading besides 12 Years a Slave? Uh, what would you tell us right now? Beloved, but okay. I don't know if that's a book all Christians want to read. <laughs> Give us the real stuff. Okay, yeah. other thing. Are you, are you loving anything these days? Like loving where you're like, I got to tell a friend. Not right now. I think when I'm not pregnant anymore, I'll be able to explore and So maybe enjoy you're going to love life when you're not pregnant? Just a little bit more. Yeah. Like now I'm just kind of on the couch all day, you know. I, You're in the miserable state. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so I, I can't drink coffee as much or eat a lot of fish. So <laughs> to ask me that in six weeks and I'll let You're you know. You're like, nothing is bringing me joy right now except getting this baby out of my stomach. <laughs> no, Oranges. Oh, you! I saw you eat orange when I was with oranges you. Oranges are so good to me right now. I don't know. I don't even eat oranges when I'm not pregnant, but they're just so 
flavorful. Yeah. And I just think God was being kind to us yeah. when he created that thing. <laughs> uh, Jackie, thanks for coming on the happy hour. Thank you, Jamie. I, uh, I told you before, and I'll say it here. This is the first time we've talked about the subject on the happy hour. Yeah. And so, um, I've had people write in that they wanted to talk about it. Uh, and not that I don't trust them, but I really trust you. And I, the reason I trust you and I'm the reason that I love your story so much is because your story is not just about, um, don't be gay, Mm -hmm. but your story is about that God has so much more to offer us. And we lay all of our fleshly earthly desires at his feet. And so I'm thankful for that. Thank you for your, I'm thankful for your life. Yeah. He's, he's, it's really ultimately all about him. Yeah. He just, he wants our joy to be in him and our satisfaction to be in him. And whatever we have to do to get to that point, whether, whatever sin we got to lay down, when you see Jesus rightly, you'll be more than willing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. You guys, wasn't it fun to catch up with Jackie? I am just such a big fan of hers in the work that she does for the gospel, but she's also such a great friend to me as well. Guys, if you want to see Jackie and I in person, we're both going to be at the Lifeway Women Live event, which is in Cincinnati, Ohio. And that is just around the corner, August 13th and 14th. If you are in the Cincinnati area, come by and say hi to us. We would love to see you. Also, if you're an Austin friend, Jackie will be at the Lifeway Women Live here in September. But Jackie also is doing something really cool, and we didn't get to talk about it, but she has her own conference. It's called Glory with Jackie Hill Perry. And she's got five stops this fall. So if you're near Dallas or Lansing, Michigan or Nashville, Tennessee or Washington, D.C. or Atlanta, Georgia, check out LifewayWomen.com and look for the Glory Conference with Jackie, and you can go be a part of that as well. Today's show was mixed by the team at Podshaper. The show notes are written by Abby Castell. The whole thing's produced by Lindsay Sweeney. I'm your host, Jamie Ivey, and I'm so excited that you joined us today. Have a great day. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. 